Turn with me to Matthew 2. If you don't, uh, that's okay. It's Christmas Eve. We didn't think everyone would have one, so we're going to put the words on the screen. Uh, But if you would stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read today from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 15. I'll read, just follow along on the screen, and as we read, remember we're reading God's word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt." And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. May this word of the Lord satisfy our souls and send us to a world that's hungry for good news. You can be seated. Well, tonight we're looking at this story of an amazing journey that these wise men took. Uh, people will go a long way for important things. I'm curious, any of you uh, from out of town, any of you come a long way uh, to be here tonight? How, how far, where did, where did you all come from? California. From California? Yeah, it's not that far. Anyone further than California? Illinois, Ohio, Washington. I mean, yeah, so you all have come a journey, and I, and I appreciate that you came all this way just to come to church here tonight. That is so great. Um, but we'll come a long way for things that are important. And a lot of times when we make a long trip like that, it makes sense, right? We're going to visit family, or we're going to see somebody that we haven't seen in a long time, that sort of a thing. What we're looking at here tonight is a bizarre story of a group of men, they're called wise men here or magi, they're kind of magician, astrologer, we don't know a lot about them, taking a long journey to meet a baby they've never known anything about. This is weird. 
This is a weird story. In fact, the Christmas story is filled with lots of little strange stories like this. This is an amazing journey. A lot of times people think there were only three wise men because there were three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? And you have, you know, the three wise men, right? A nativity with more than three, there would just be, there wouldn't be enough room for the camels and the other stuff. But, but in reality, this is probably a larger group. The Bible doesn't actually say how many, it just says wise men from a far distance came on this trip. There were probably a lot because there's, it's unlikely that people traveling with that much treasure would just travel with only three people. So it's a large group of, of people probably from a long way away. It doesn't say exactly where they're from, uh, but they're from the east, uh, possibly from Babylon, um, which would be like modern day Iraq. So they're walking. It might have taken weeks or it might have taken months. And they're giving these expensive items, the, 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 the most valuable things that they owned, they're giving at the feet of a baby. I mean, this is weird, isn't it? Right? Can you imagine the conversation between wise man number one and his wife when he told her, hey, honey, I think I need to go to Israel to give away our most valuable stuff to a baby? Right? Do you imagine how that conversation went? Uh, honey, you're going where? Uh, to, to Israel why? To, to give our stuff away to a baby? Honey, you didn't even want to go across the street when my sister had a baby, and now you want to go see this baby in Israel? I mean, this is just kind of absurd, and yet that's what's happening. What is going on with the story? What is the point of this story? Well, there's so much in this text that I would like to unpack and like to talk about, but tonight what I want to do is I just want to focus on the main thing. What's the main thing in this story? And then what are the three responses that we might have uh, that we see in this story? The three responses that different people had in this story, and I think they connect with where we are today. So here's the big idea. Here's the main point of this story is that Jesus is the king who came in weakness. Jesus is the king who came in weakness. Now that sentence just by itself should strike us as odd because kings don't come in weakness. Kings come with guards. Kings come with trumpet blasts around them. Kings come with pomp and circumstance, but not the king of kings, Jesus. Jesus is the king who came in weakness. Jesus is a king. There's a number of times in this story that the text points out that Jesus was a king. The first is in verse 2. These wise men show up at Herod's palace and say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's one title for a ruler. Another is in verse 4. Herod doesn't know what happened here, so he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, the Christ is a title that means anointed one or Messiah or ruler. You, you may have thought that Christ was Jesus' last name, right? There wasn't like a Christ family, and here's their mailbox, the Christs, you know. No, this was Jesus the Christ. This is a title, right? So they're asking, where is the anointed one? Where is the Messiah? Where is the ruler who would come? That's an indication of him being a king. When the scribes uh, look up in the Old Testament, that, right, because that's where they're, they're going, okay, where in, the, where in the Old Testament does it say that this ruler would come? Where would he come to? Here's what it says then in verse 6, and this is a quote from the book of Micah. 
It says, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And in verse 11, we see that the gifts that they give to this baby are the gifts you would give to royalty. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, we all know the value of that. Frankincense, you could burn it, it would smell good, or it was a kind of ointment that was incredibly valuable, wonderful healing properties. Myrrh was another ointment that was incredibly fragrant and beautiful. Jesus is the king. He's the ruler. He's the Christ. He's worthy of these amazing gifts. And yet, he came in weakness. Look again at verse 11. It says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Notice, they didn't go into a palace, they went into a house. Notice, they didn't have to get through the guards and the security, they just saw him and his mother, and what they saw was a child, a little, helpless child. By this point, Jesus is probably two or three months old, maybe a little bit more, we're not exactly sure. You know, if the star kind of ascended around the time Jesus was born and they, they had a few months to kind of get their stuff together and come, we don't know exactly. But it's been interesting this time of year because um, I've got four kids, three daughters, and then a couple months ago we had a baby boy named Hank. And uh, I just look at the Christmas story a little different now because Hank's about the age that Jesus would have been when these guys showed up. And there's nothing very impressive about him. Here, take a look. I took this video this morning. I don't know if Jesus had a nice colorful mat like that or not. Probably not. Right? But th that's Hank. He's just, he's three months old. Just sitting there. Like in a minute, he's going to try to grab the clown ahead of him, but he, like, his hands don't really, he can't, he doesn't have control over his hands. You know, he poops in his diaper a lot, <laughs> cries, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I tried. Oh, no, I can't even figure that out. <laughs> and this is amazing to me. Like, like God, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the, the holy, the righteous, the one who spoke the world into existence came as a little baby who couldn't control his hands or his bowel movements. Right? It's not like the wise men got there and they found little baby Superman Jesus doing push-ups, you know, clapping push-ups. No, he, he, he's just a little baby. And he's vulnerable, right? So vulnerable that, that in fact, when Herod, when God reveals to, to Joseph that, that, that Herod's plan is to actually destroy Jesus, they have to run. Look at what it says in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Listen, Jesus didn't have this like invisible shield, this bubble. He wasn't a bubble boy that everything just kind of bounced off of him. No, he was vulnerable. He could have been killed. So vulnerable that his family had to escape as refugees into Egypt. 
Jesus is the king who came in weakness. Dorothy Sayers was a novelist in the 30s, wrote some crime dramas, and she was a follower of Jesus. And here's what she says about this. She says, the incarnation, that's God coming in the flesh, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us, and he thought it well worth his while. Do you get what she's saying? She's saying, we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that's falling apart. And as a result, we experience suffering. We experience pain. We experience loss. Some of you, this, is, this time of year is so hard because of the loss and the pain and the grief that's in your life. And do you know what Christmas says? Do you know what the incarnation says? The incarnation says that God didn't just dish out that painful medicine to you and stand back at a distance, but he took the medicine himself. The king came and experienced the weakness, the vulnerability as a baby boy. He lived a life as a carpenter's son in a no-name place called Nazareth. He wasn't impressive to look at. Even when he showed up in his hometown to preach, no one really believed who he was. They didn't go, oh, you know, I always thought you were most likely to be Messiah. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He was abandoned. He was delivered up by one of his disciples. He was crucified on a cross as though he were a criminal when he had done nothing wrong. He lived a life of pain and suffering and weakness. The king came in weakness. Why? Why? Well, some of it is because that's how God always works. God always works through weakness. In fact, when you read the Bible, you just see story after story after story of God doing his purposes, accomplishing his purposes with weakness, right? When God chooses a nation that's going to be an agent of his blessing to the whole world, what nation does he pick? Does he pick Babylon? Oh, they're strong. Or Assyria or Egypt or Rome? No. He picks little tiny Israel, who everyone's been trying to wipe off the map ever since. And when he picks them, who does he pick? Does he pick a young, strong person? No, he picks an old couple, Abraham and Sarah. He says, you're going to be the father of a multitude, and they, haven't, they can't even conceive and have kids. He uses weakness. When God wants this giant Goliath killed, who does he send out? Does he send out King Saul, who's head and shoulders taller than everyone else? No, he sends out a little, tiny, baby shepherd boy to kill Goliath. This is how God works. God always accomplishes his purposes through weakness. Why? Does God just root for the underdog? You know, he's a, he loves the movie Hoosiers, and he's always pulling for the Cardinals. <laughs> Clearly not, right? But what, what it, 
No, God's not just a fan of the underdog. He's trying to teach us something. Do you know what he's trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us how salvation works. Because we think, and every other religion in the world says, that the way you achieve salvation, the way you achieve the good life, the way you can really know that you're a great person is by doing a good job and working hard and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and pulling it together and getting strong and doing what you should do. That is the way of salvation everywhere else except Christianity. And in Christianity, Jesus says, I came for the weak. And I came for those who would admit they're weak. Because the only way that you can be saved is that if you admit that you're weak, too. And as we trust in Jesus, who was made weak so that we could become strong, then we have salvation. That's why he did it this way. So how might we respond to this? Well, the story gives us three kinds of responses of the people in this story, and I think they're probably fitting of the kinds of responses for those of us here tonight. How would we respond to this news that Jesus came to bring salvation? Jesus came in weakness. How would we respond? Well, one way that we would respond is like Herod, is just rejection. Rejection, that's what Herod does. I mean, Herod kind of puts on a good show. He tells the wise men, hey, yeah, tell me when you find him because I want to worship him too. Yeah, right, he just wants to go kill the kid. And in fact, in the story after where we stopped reading, uh, Herod goes to, to Bethlehem and he kills every baby boy under the age of two just to be safe. See, Herod is threatened. And it makes sense, right? Imagine that you're Herod, you're the king, and some people show up to the palace and go, hey, we're looking for the king. And your servants go, oh, well, he's in his quarters. Let me get him. No, 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 not him. The real king. Imagine if you were the king, how that would feel. What do you mean the real king? I'm the real king. And so Herod is threatened because the claim that Jesus is king is a threat to his kingdom. But here's the thing. Every single one of us has a little Herod that lives inside of us. It says, I want to be in charge. I want things my way. I want to tell you how it should be. I want to do what I want to do. And as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, I can just do whatever I want. And Jesus comes and says, no, I'm the king. And we don't like that. That's a threat. Right? I hope some of you who realize, who just know, like, I'm not a Christian, and I don't know if I want to be a Christian, but, but maybe I could be convinced. You need to know that you actually have an incentive to not believe. Because if you believe, you've got to lay down some of your pride. You've got to say, I'm not in charge of my life. I'm not the captain of my ship. I'm not the king of the world. Jesus is. There's a professor of philosophy and law at NYU, Thomas Nagel, He's an atheist, and I appreciate his honesty. Here's what he says. He says, I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally I hope that my belief is right. I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not rare. Wow, that is so insightful and so honest. He's saying, I have a cosmic authority problem. I have a little Herod inside of me. 
And so you might just reject Jesus because he's a threat. He might rearrange your life. Second response that we see in this story is the response of the scribes. It's the response of apathy. Right? Herod basically finds out, okay, there's this baby. He's supposed to be born. He goes to the scribes. Scribes, where, did, where, where in the scriptures does it say this baby would be born? And the scribes, this is amazing. These were the people who supposedly were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for this king to come, right? And they're so excited to find out that the king has come that they go, uh, well, in Micah, it says Bethlehem. You should try Bethlehem. What? Wouldn't you think they'd go, the Christ is here? Are you serious? Follow us, Bethlehem, here we go. Right? And they're leading the caravan, but no, it's just apathetic. Hey, 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 we, we know the information. We've heard this before. And that's maybe how you experience the gospel. Maybe that's how you experience the Christmas story or the Easter story or any other gospel story you hear. You go, yeah, 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 I've heard that. I know that. Ooh, yeah, yeah, I got that. What's for dinner? <laughs> the king of kings has humbled himself and come near for you. Yeah, I know. That's not an appropriate response. The appropriate response is the response of the wise men. It's the response of worship. It says in verse 10 that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Right? It's like Matthew here, he can't come up with language strong enough. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How else is he going to say this? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Do you know what the word worship means? The word worship doesn't mean singing. That's what we think because there's like this genre of music, worship music. No. Worship means to bow down, to fall down, to prostrate yourself on the floor Right, So when it says they fell down and worshipped him, what it's saying is they fell down and fell down. So get this, they're lying there, face down, on the floor, in front of a baby. And they're giving away their treasures that they've traveled a long, long way to come for. Right? This is crazy. Here's what I love. Because anyone that did this, anyone that traveled for weeks or months and brought their life savings and laid it at the feet of a baby, do you know what we'd call them? A fool. And do you know what the Bible calls these guys? The wise men. See, the response of rejection, that's true foolishness. The response of apathy, that's real folly. The response of worship toward this king who became weak so that we could become strong, that's wisdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I uh, thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus who came in weakness. God, I pray that we would give up our sense of being king over our lives. God, I pray we would give up the apathy that says, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. 
And instead, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would move in such a way that we would respond with worship, that we would give our very best to you. God, that we would find our greatest joy in you, that we would see that the way of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. Lord, thank you for this good news. We want to celebrate it in a way that honors you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.